Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Morning, everyone. Morning, there are some people here, lovely. Welcome to everyone in the building and those of you watching online as well. If we haven't met before, my name is Alessa, I'm part of the congregation here. If you've got the passage open in front of you, if you've heard me speak before, you'll know that I like you to keep it in front of you uh, while I speak, if that's on your phone or old school uh, paper like me. Um, But why don't I pray and then we'll jump into today's passage. Father, thank you so much that you are a God of justice. Lord, I pray that you would come now by your spirit, speak to each and every one of us through your word. For the sake of your glory and your son, I pray. Amen. So we learn from a very young age, don't we, that life isn't quite the way it should be. I'm pretty certain I can trigger every parent with children who can speak in this room by saying three simple words, it's not fair. We've all heard children say it, and I'm sure we all said it ourselves as children too. Now, the majority of times when we hear kids say that, let's face it, it's for pretty trivial reasons, isn't it? You know, not being able to stay up past your bedtime isn't the greatest injustice you'll ever face in your life. But we still have this awareness in us that that things aren't quite right. And that feeling only grows as we grow. We realize that actually the unfairness or the injustice of this world is much more serious than we could have imagined and also much more widespread. I remember leaving home for the first time and and moving to Exeter for university. It was my first time living in a city centre and a very wealthy city at that. And I remember walking around the town and thinking to myself, wow, Exeter has a real homelessness issue. And then I moved to Bristol and I thought, wow, Bristol has a real homelessness issue. And then I moved here and it's rare that I will walk into the town centre and not be stopped by someone begging. I don't know about you, But in the face of all this injustice in front of us, it can be hard to know what to do. You know, we can feel overwhelmed, like it's too big, and in reality, what are our little decisions and choices? What difference are they really going to make? But as Nehemiah finds out in our passage this morning, that attitude isn't really the way of following our God, of following Jesus. As followers of Jesus, fighting for justice and fighting against oppression has to be part of our DNA. It has to be a core part of our journey of following him. It's not just something that we as individuals can ignore or just pass off onto someone else. Because if we do that, we can fall into dangerous territory. We can become so self-obsessed, so self-righteous that we fail to see the needs of the people right in front of us. We become so wrapped up in our callings, in our ministry, that we neglect the last, the least, and the lost. But the fact is, is to follow Jesus, to be part of bringing God's kingdom to earth, means to fight injustice in all of its forms. To work to help bring that time where God's perfect justice will reign and injustice will be no more. It will look different for different people, uh, depending on what gifts we have or the resources we have at our disposal, but it's still a call on each and every one of us. And in Nehemiah 5 today, we see Nehemiah faced with injustice in his own community, and his model of responding to it it helps us to see what our role is to play in it. So we're going to walk through the passage together, so that's why I've asked you to keep it open in front of you if you already don't. So, before Nehemiah can do anything... 
the first thing he has to do is he has to face some hard truths. The fact is, is that his people, his fellow Jews, are suffering. They're in the midst of a famine. They've been forced into cycles of debt and poverty by it, and sadly have even resorted to selling their own children into slavery. They needed money to pay for grain, but they also had to pay the king's tax and of being charged interest by the Jewish nobles and officials, by the people in power. Now, part of the reason why this is happening is because of the famine that is mentioned in verse 3, but there's also a larger issue at play here. Some scholars believe that actually the real crux of the issue, why there wasn't enough grain in Jerusalem at the time and the people being extorted out of their money, is because most of the resources in and around Jerusalem at that time were being focused and spent on rebuilding the walls. All of that money was going towards Nehemiah's building project. Now, rebuilding the walls is in and of itself a very good thing. It is what God had put on Nehemiah's heart to do. If Nehemiah walked into this church building today and we asked him that classic charismatic Christian question of, hey, Nehemiah, what is the calling on your life? I would expect him to reply with something along the lines of, oh, yes, it's to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem or something along those lines. And like I said, that's a really good thing. It's good that Nehemiah knew that and that that's what he pursued if that's what he felt like God was calling him to. However, Nehemiah and his team had become so obsessed with their own calling, their own work, that they had neglected the needs of the people, even forcing them into poverty. Like it or not, systems that they had put in place to rebuild the walls were actually causing widespread injustice. Nehemiah and the people had, Nehemiah and the officials, sorry, had neglected their people. Now, God will call each and every one of us into specific things and specific ministries, and it is good, and that is important that we pursue that. We pursue God's calling on our lives. But the call on us is as well to be people of justice. You can't claim to be the holiest person in this room and not fight for justice. You can be up to date with the Bible in one year. You can go to every kingdom come prayer meeting. You can serve on every team this church has to offer. But if you're neglecting justice as part of your walk with Jesus, then to be blunt, you are missing the point. To be a part of God's people, to be a follower of Jesus, means to fight for justice. To hear the cries of the oppressed and to listen to them. We need to be open like Nehemiah was in this passage, to be interrupted in the, state, in the pursuit of our own cause for the sake of others. To pursue justice and mercy as much as our own callings and righteousness. Because as Nehemiah puts it himself in verse 1, the people of Jerusalem have raised a great outcry. This isn't just a small complaint. This is deep pain. They are suffering. Although they are of the same flesh and blood as the people in power, they have been pushed further and further down the social pile as a result of the leader's actions. Because at the end of the day, the people in power weren't selling their children into slavery. In order to fight injustice, we first have to stop and we have to listen just like Nehemiah does in verse 6, to actually hear what the complaints are before we go in with whatever we think is the best solution. And when we do that, we might find that God puts certain things on our hearts. He might stir up emotions in us that cause us to fight for injustice further. And so I want to ask us this morning, what are the cries of the people of Reading? You know, the people of our town, the people that we might live next to, work with, walk past in the street, 
how might we be ignoring them or missing them in the pursuit of our own righteousness and our own callings? Because as Nehemiah learns the hard way this morning, they can be easy to ignore. But once he hears these cries, Nehemiah is then able to spring into action. After pondering these issues in his mind for a bit, he knows he has to do something. So he goes straight to the nobles and the officials, the people causing this injustice in the first place. Now notice here how Nehemiah, he doesn't just throw money at the, at the situation, because he could have just given the Jews all the money he had and been like, all right, everyone, that's great, and then walk off. But he knows here that there are actually systems in place that are causing this injustice that need to be changed. There are systems that have made, been made by his fellow leaders that are causing injustice. To put it in the words of the Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser, charity seeks to give directly to the poor as to help alleviate their poverty. Justice seeks to correct the structures that help create that poverty. And Jesus asks us to do both. The call on the people of God is not just to give money, as good and as worthwhile as that is, but that's a different sermon for a different time. But it's also to seek justice by creating kingdom structures that fix that oppression in the first place. Now, for some of us in this room and watching online, we can relate to Nehemiah in verse 7. We can go straight up to those nobles and officials, and we might even be them ourselves. We might carry influence in our workplaces or our communities or whatever it might be. You know, we can make good, high-level systematic change straight away and fix that oppression. But if, if you're sitting there thinking, that doesn't apply to me, I hate to break it to you, it does. <laughs> because the fact is, we all have some form of influence because we all have a voice. You know, we can get involved with campaigns, actions, petitions, whatever it might be, to help create that change. But to bring it even closer to home, the fact is we all have influence over our own lives and the individual choices we all make. If you look at, look at verse 14 for me, Nehemiah not only influences the big decisions in the city, but he also makes a decision as to how he lives his own life. He decides not to eat the food allotted to him as the governor because it puts a burden on the people. He makes a change to the lifestyle expected of him for the sake of justice. He actively decides to deny himself some form of luxury and ease of life to ensure the people weren't being forced deeper into poverty. Because fighting injustice isn't always a comfortable thing. It will come at a cost to us. It might cost us time, it might cost us money or something else. But to be a follower of Jesus anyway means to lay down our own lives and desires to follow him. And part of following him, as I've said before and I'll say it again, is to fight for justice. You know, what is that thing that God has put on your heart and also has put in your hands that enables you to fight? It could be a small thing or a big thing. What is a change or a commitment that you can make this morning in order to further you in your pursuit of justice? Maybe you have time during the week you can volunteer to a social project or a skill that is needed to work with a particular people group. There are so many opportunities in this church alone that I'm sure if you email the office, they'd be able to point you in the right direction. There's also another thing that Nehemiah does here in verse 17 where I want to land this morning. So he says, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. 
So before I moved to Reading, as I alluded to at the start, I lived in Bristol for a year where I was an intern at a small church in the northwest of the city called Hope Community Church, or Hope Chapel, as some know it. I think for some of you who've been kicking around at Greyfriars for a while, you might be familiar with them from running the Living Free course. If the name Chris Bond rings a bell to you, it's his fault I'm here because he recommended you all to me. If you've ever been to Bristol or you know anything about the city, you will know that it is a beautiful, vibrant city with so much life and culture, but equally has a darker underside. The city has a real drugs problem, notoriously so. Uh, if you want to see the extent of it, the BBC did an entire documentary series on it a few years ago. As a result, there's an issue with addiction in many forms. Um, homelessness, as I mentioned, is a real issue. And Bristol is also home to two very large male prisons. Put all that together and you get a very vicious cycle. And so Hope Community Church heard the cries of the people and knew they had to do something. Hope, when it was founded, decided to be founded on four dreams. And one of those dreams was to be a family for people on the margins of society. And every week, Wednesday in particular, is the day they put that into action. They host a food bank in the morning and a life recovery group in the afternoon. It's a bit like church for people who find Sunday mornings too hard. But Wednesday lunchtimes in particular were always the highlight of my week every week. On a Wednesday lunchtime, the caretaker of the church, a former drug addict and prisoner himself, made some of the best soups I've ever had in my life. And anyone and everyone who found themselves in that church building, we all sat round together for lunch. Those of us who were working in the office, people who were there for food bank in the morning and for life recovery in the afternoon, and just anyone else who might be in the community who fancied it. A bunch of people from all sorts of different walks of life, different backgrounds, upbringing, situations. We all just sat around and ate together. You know, and those lunchtimes were some of the most powerful glimpses of the kingdom I have ever seen in my life. Because for that hour, we were family. People weren't defined by what they'd done or who they were. They were welcomed in. Yep, some weeks it was messy. One week the team even got a call to say that a man they had been mentoring in prison had been unexpectedly released with no warning, and he rocked up for lunch the next day. I had a very lovely conversation with him about paddleboarding on the river. Yes, it was messy, but it was so beautiful, because it was a time where the margins of society didn't exist. And actually, those lunchtimes opened the doors for people to then come on a Sunday morning because they'd got a glimpse of what God's family was truly like. And some of those people I met on those lunchtimes absolutely transformed the way I see so many social justice issues and were some of my favorite people I met during my intern year because I saw them for who they were, not just another statistic or a case study, but children of God, dearly loved and made in his image. And this is what Nehemiah does this morning. Those people that were stuck in poverty, he invited them in. He welcomed them in to sit at his table. And notice in verse 17 that it's both the Jews and the officials, those in poverty and the ones causing it. They were all there in beautiful justice and reconciliation. And let's not forget as well, it's also what Jesus did. Sitting and eating with all people. For Jesus, it was both the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the tax collectors and the sinners. Because Jesus knew that the kingdom he was bringing was to be one where justice reigned, where all people were treated fairly and rightly. 
where the rich were willing to sell their possessions in order to give to the poor, where those who were forced out of the worship of God because of their poverty or physical condition were welcomed in, where people who were on the margins of society because of their situations in life were welcomed in to sit and eat together. Because Jesus doesn't look at somebody who is on the outside of society in poverty or whatever it might be and just ignore them or keep them at an arm's distance. He welcomes them in. Because in the kingdom, those margins don't exist. We are family. We are all equal because of what Jesus has won for us. Jesus' death and resurrection means that all of us have forgiveness for whatever mistakes we've made, whether they've put us on the margins or not. The gospel means that anybody can be changed and transformed from their old life into freedom through the grace and power of God. And we need to show that this good news is for anyone regardless of who they are, where they are, or what they've done. We are all united in Jesus' death. As Paul puts it in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The ultimate way to fight injustice is with the radical welcome and generosity of the gospel, to bring those who are oppressed and suffering in, into our church, into our homes, into our lives, to live in a way that reflects that all are welcome in the kingdom, into the home of God, and that we are all one in Jesus, to show people who are pressed that they have value, they have worth, they have forgiveness, they have belonging, to treat them the way that Jesus would if he were us, to make our lives resemble now what they will do one day, living in a time and place where justice is done, where all are treated equally, where there is no exploitation, no poverty, no social margins. And ultimately, Nehemiah, in our passage today, tells us he did and went through all of this in verse 15, out of reverence for God. To fight for justice is ultimately an act of worship. It's part of loving God, to reflect his heart for his people and to see his kingdom come. To live in the kingdom of God means to fight for justice. If we're serious about seeing God's kingdom come in Reading, then we have to be serious about fighting for justice in Reading. There are issues in our town. So what are the cries? What is the great complaint of the people outside this building? We need to be open to being interrupted in our own callings for the sake of justice, because it has to be part of our DNA. It has to be a core part of our journey of following him. We can't just ignore it because it's not what we're called to. We're all called to it, using whatever it is that God has given us for the sake of justice. It might be time, it might be influence, it might be a skill, or it might be money. We all have something in our hands that we can use. But it's important that we also live justice-shaped lives, ones that reflect what the kingdom looks like, a place where justice is done, where poverty is no more, where all people are treated like the image bearers of God that they are, where no one is oppressed or stuck in vicious cycles of poverty. And so what would it look like for Reading to be that place and for us to make it so? I wonder what steps we can take now. And we're going to think about that all together now. Because as I've harked on this morning, this is a call for each and every one of us in this building and watching online as well. I want us this morning to think and commit to one thing. It can be big or small, but one commitment, one small change you can make 
to help further you on in this journey of fighting for justice. To give you an example, I have two things that I've committed to myself, committed to in my life. Now, this isn't to show off and say that I'm holier than thou. It's not the case at all. Um, it's number one, so you can hold me accountable to it when you see me. Um, and also number two, just to give you an idea to get the cogs whirring in your head. Um, so the first commitment I've made is what's known as the 80-20 fashion pledge. So my aim is, is that at least 80% of my wardrobe is either second-hand or first-hand from ethical retailers, so from people that uh, use sustainable materials and pay their workers a fair wage. My second commitment is ever, if I'm walking around and someone who is homeless or begging tries to get my attention, I just stop and give them some time, whether it's a smile or just a quick conversation. I just want to show those people in that moment that they are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect. And those are small changes that I've made. But actually, as I've lived them out and continued them, I can see how they're kind of spilling the banks into the rest of my life and wanting me to fight for justice in other areas. And so I wonder, maybe as some of you, as you've been sitting here this morning, something has just popped into your head, something that wasn't there before, and the likelihood is that is probably God. And if you can't think of anything, why not pray and ask? So I'm going to invite uh, Lorraine and Tim up, and they're going to play for us in the background. But just take a minute, just think for a second. What is that one change, that one commitment you can make? So I want you to think about it, pray about it if you need to. And then what I want you to do is if you've got your phones on you or a notebook or something, is get it out and write it down. Actually put it on paper or put it on your phone so you've got that reminder. So I'm going to give you one minute, think about it, pray about it. Hopefully Tim and Lorraine will play some music in the background. But let's just pause for a minute and think and pray. Once you've got that thing, you've got that commitment, that change, like I said, write it down, you know, put it in your phone, write it in your notebook, make sure that you can't ignore it. And then the next step I want to ask you to do is to send it to somebody. Either tell the person that you're with this morning or send it maybe into your small group WhatsApp if you've got one or someone else who isn't here or online, you can put it in the comments on Church Online because this is something as well, we're called to it as individuals, but as a community as well. And we need to spur each other on and do it together. So write it down, send it to somebody. But I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for, for God to stir this up in our hearts even more. And then we're gonna go into a time of worship. So let's pray together. Father God, you are a God of justice. God, we know that it breaks your heart to see your children stuck in poverty or stuck in oppression or whatever it might be. And God, we as a community are sorry for the times that we have ignored the cries of your people. 
We're sorry for the times that we have turned a blind eye. God, we ask for forgiveness. We ask that you would spur us on as a community to be people of justice. God, our heart is to see your kingdom come in Reading, for it to be a place where justice is done, where everybody is treated fairly and rightly. And Lord, I pray you'd be stirring things up in us, stirring up in us commitments, changes to make in our lives that don't put burdens on your people, but pursue justice, pursue your kingdom. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, would you be inspiring them with those changes to make? Holy Spirit, would you come inspire the minds of your people this morning? In Jesus' name.